0: Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the First Loved Podcast. So today's is this really difficult line that, again, I think because we say it often so rotely, just matter-of-factly, and we just fly through it like the Pledge of Allegiance, we don't pause long enough to actually think about, God, that seems weird. And that's the line where, as we all know it, we pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Just think about what that just said. Wait, I'm asking you, God, not to lead me into temptation? What kind of request is that? It just seems so odd to me that as long as this thing has been being prayed, that it doesn't get more reaction, which again, makes me suspect that people are flying through it and actually not really owning it or thinking about it or actually saying it from their own hearts, perhaps. So I want to look at it for a moment today because I think it's important and I want us to pray it meaningfully as we continue. Well, first of all, what's very, very surprising is that in most of my commentaries, especially the ones that have been written more recently, across the board, the scholars write this first part of this petition this way, and do not bring us into testing. Do not bring us, not so much being led, but don't bring us, as though somehow he's almost dragging us into, (laughs) don't bring us. And then almost across the board, they're saying, do not bring us into testing. And we've all learned to say it as temptation. Now, the reason why that's the case is that because that one Greek word, actually, depending on context, can be translated either test or tempt, testing or temptation. Exact same word, only context determines. And particularly when it comes to temptation, generally, it's when the word is being used in a context negatively, particularly as it might be this being dragged into sin. And in that regard, anybody who, again, if you just pause and think about it, you should have this weird reaction inside that goes, wait a minute, if God loves me and God is good, why would he tempt me? That can't be true, right? That can't be accurate. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, always, practically without fail, especially if you've ever asked a pastor, they will immediately point to James 1.13 to 15, where James says this, when tempted, which again can even be tested, but you'll see why it's tempted in this context. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So, right there, it can't really quite mean that God would want to bring you into temptation because it would put it in direct conflict with this passage. James continues on saying, or writing, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived it, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full-grown gives birth to death. So, you can see why it gets translated here as tempt, because it is specifically about being enticed, being dragged into, doing some sort of behavior that is in fact sinful and that is wrong and that in the end would lead to death. And of course, God would have nothing whatsoever to do with that. Consequently, it's amazing to me after all these years that in newer translations that The choice wasn't made to actually use the word testing. But even that, I was sharing with Pete. Last night, I was two and a half hours reviewing all kinds of my tools or my book tools, you know, looking up passages and, oh my gosh, just to confirm what I wanted to say to you again today, (laughs) where even there, where he says, and bring us not into testing, it's an odd thing still. I don't know. We're trusting that Jesus taught him to pray this. And this is one of these moments you would have liked to pause and said, wait, Jesus, can you like explain that a little bit further? Where pretty much across the board, all the commentators say, well, it's absolutely true that God would not lead us into or tempt us in any way, shape, or form. Lead us into temptation or tempt us in any way, shape, or form. That's utterly it's our own evil desires that do that. And what's more, ultimately, it's the enemy that does that. That's what he's about. That's what he wants to do. In fact, I'll just jump into that right now, where First Thessalonians 3.5, Paul says, for this reason, he's, he's writing to this church and he hadn't had any communication, so he's really concerned about them. So he says, when I couldn't endure it any longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain." Where here, he is explicitly referring to Satan, to the devil as the tempter and the one who tempts. And in this case, I think again, tempt is probably right because he would deliberately be trying to entice people away from God, to abandon God, to go back into a sinful life or whatever. And as well as 1 Corinthians 7, 5, Paul said, do not deprive each other. And this is about husbands and wives and their sexual relationship. He says, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that who? Satan. Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so there's that word again and again the the temptation would be is that they would go off and try to meet their sexual needs some other way or whatever. And so he says he's the one that would do this to you. Twice Paul refers to Satan as the one who tempts, the other case it was the tempter. Well, The one passage that the scholars refer to is saying, well, there is a sense in which perhaps God would bring us into or allow us into some kind of testing. And it's in one place, it's Matthew 4, where Jesus has just been baptized, and it says, "...then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil." And then in verse 3, he there is explicitly called the tempter, where Matthew writes, and the tempter came and said to him. So first, it's the devil, but he's called the tempter, which again is why in these places where he says, when Paul said, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you. And that actually has to do with when it says the evil one. The word there, why some translations say evil and other translations say evil one, is because the Greek word there can mean just evil, or as I've just mentioned, it can refer to a person. And I think there's enough scriptures that make it really, really clear that it's not just evil in general, but there is a real enemy, folks. And he is rightly called the tempter. He's also called the devil. He's called Satan. And in Revelation twelve nine, it says, "...the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan." Who leads the whole world astray? The great dragon, ancient serpent, devil, or Satan who leads the whole world astray. So again, it seems that it's not just evil in general. There is a very specific, as Paul called him, the ruler of the air. There's a real devil out there, a real fallen angel and all of his legions who are out to try to lead us astray, to doubt God, to lose our faith in God and to, to be dragged off and do things that would be counter. And then later in that same chapter, verse 17, he says, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to, meaning Mary, and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Think about that. He went off to wage war against us. So, folks, there's a real enemy out there who really does want to test you, who really wants to tempt you, and only he's the one that does it. So, here again, Jesus teaches us to pray, perhaps more literally, bring us not into testing And again, the main reason is because people think it could mean that insofar as the Holy Spirit led Jesus into a time of testing, which, of course, while you're being tested, it can easily turn into temptation. But the idea behind testing, here's where I want to go with this, and then I want to share some really wonderful passages to wrap up our time. And here's what spent so much of my time last night is that there are two Greek words for test— one of them is used never by God testing. In the New Testament, there's not a single place where this one Greek word. Instead, it's the Jews, the Pharisees, different ones tested Jesus, that Ananias and Sapphira tested the Holy Spirit, and it's not used of God anywhere in the New Testament, of him testing anyone. Most people refer back to Genesis 22, 1 and 2, when God told Abraham... And tested Abraham and told him to take Isaac and sacrifice him. And then the other one is that passage that I read last week about in Deuteronomy where he says that he wanted to test their hearts. And actually, I say saying to Pete, and I need to go check this out in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to see what Greek word they chose for the word test. Because the primary word for testing, and it's the one where maybe this passage you would know the best of Romans 12, 2, when he says, Then you'll be able to test and approve. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this age, but be renewed in your minds so that you will be able to test and approve. And it's an interesting word because it's kind of two parts and why they have to say it that way. It's one word, but there is this process of testing in order to get a result. And it comes out of just classical ordinary Greek where it primarily had to do with testing the genuineness of coinage where to make sure it was the real thing. And so it would go through some sort of a testing process. And the purpose of it though, was that it would come out and bring the result of either it passed that it was acceptable and genuine or it wasn't. Well, this shows up all over in the New Testament. And most of the time, it's Paul saying, examine yourselves, test yourselves, see what's really true, what's really genuine. And the only one time that it gets used of God is in 1 Thessalonians two four, which is really fascinating because in that passage, Paul says that God has approved us, which is one form of that verb, by giving us the gospel. And he says, so we don't really need your approval. And he says, in the end, we're not trying to please you or get your approval, just God. And God has tested, or in several translations, has examined our hearts. And the point is, is that in that whole sentence, if you go from the reverse, <laughs> you have it that Paul's trying to say, look, you guys, God tested. He examined to see if we were genuine and the real deal. And we know he said yes and approved because he entrusted us with his gospel. And he wouldn't have done that if we weren't real, if we weren't genuine, if we weren't the real deal. And it's the only place, and Paul's referring to God doing that in His own heart. It's not a blanket statement. For you know that God examines and tests to see if this, that, or the other thing is going on in your life or in your heart. In fact, all of the instances in the New Testament, or the bulk of them, are about you examining yourself. So my point. Sorry, like I said, I, I did study, and so this is sounding a little more technical than I like, but I hope it's important and it's helping you because this is an awkward, difficult petition. Bring us not into testing. And I think overall what I'm saying is that we can't find a place outside of God, the Holy Spirit, leading Jesus into the wilderness to have this encounter with the enemy. There is no place where it talks about God bringing into testing, God doing the testing in either of those two Greek words. And so often people say, well, you know God tests, you know God tests, you know God tests, and they always point back to the Genesis text where, yes, he did But even in the Deuteronomy 8, the one I shared last week, my assumption is that it's going to be that particular Greek word of examine, test, and approve when he says, I humbled you to test what was in your hearts. It's the same idea. and That's what comes up all over in the New Testament is what's real, what's genuine. God was saying, yes, I allowed this stuff to happen in your life so that it would reveal to yourselves and reveal, as it were, to me what's really true in your hearts. It, are your hearts genuine? Do you really love me? Do you really <laughs> trust me? Are you for me? Are you with me? It's not testing in a way, well, if they fail, boom, you're done. I'm finished with you and you've screwed up. It's, it's this idea of what's genuine, what's true, what's real. So here's how I want to conclude this, is that in the petition, when we say it, the way you're always going to say is, lead us not into temptation. It's don't bring us into testing. Is that again because the Holy Spirit did that with Jesus? It's possible, but the Lord's not bringing you into that stuff to see whether you are going to fail or not. If this stuff happens, which even that I, I remember years ago talking about this, even in Deuteronomy 8 when he led them through the wilderness. You know, he led them through the wilderness in a certain way so that. It would take care of the land, it says, so that they wouldn't be devoured by wild animals, that they wouldn't wipe out all the food that was around. And then they went through the desert part, and of course that had nothing. But that was the way, the route they had to take anyway, and that it was natural. It's not like God just said, boom, I'm going to turn this lush thing into a desert and let's see what happens. And if they succeed, great, I'll keep them. If they fail, I'm done with them. No. In, to get them to the promised land, they had to go through this, but it itself became a test, a means of examining what was going on in their hearts. And I think, again, the idea of the petition is that we're saying, Father, there's plenty of testing that life does all on its own. And I would definitely submit to, if you want to allow my life to go down in a certain way, perhaps even order things in a way that would produce challenges, difficulties, because I want to know what's really true in my own heart about you and about myself. But I think the petition is, yeah, but if we don't have to do that, (laughs) I'm just saying, Lord, I don't want you to bring me into that. And I guess that's okay to ask. And if we do, the second part is rescue me. Rescue me from the evil one. Meaning that the struggle sometimes if we get into these testing moments is that again, we might then become vulnerable to the tempter and that he would try to tempt us in such a way that we would sin or do wrong. I want to finish with these couple of positive passages to just say, look, primarily God's not against you. God's not looking to drag you into certain things, knowing that you may or may not fail. There are plenty of tests, but in his goodness, in the same way that he says, don't despise my discipline or resent my rebuke because this has good in it maybe even more so the James passage. Remember where in James he says, consider it even joy when these trials come. And there's that same word for testing because they test your faith to see what it's made of. And he says, these testings produce perseverance and so that your faith will be mature and not lacking in anything. So there's a degree to which testings, the text says actually are really positive things. But I want to finish with this, three passages. First of all, Luke 22, 31 and 32 is to remind you, I've said it numbers of times over the years, when Jesus said to Peter and the guys, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I would suggest he wants to test you, even as he came to God and asked to test Job. But Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And friends, I'm telling you, I believe because Jesus in two places, it says that he ever lives to intercede for us, that he is still praying that for you, that yes, there are going to be testings, but he's praying that your faith may not fail. Hold on to that. In Hebrews 2.18, he says here at first person, Because I myself suffered when I was tempted or tested, I am able to help you who are being tested or tempted. Do you get that? He understands it. He went through it and he's able to help. So first of all, he's praying that your faith may not fail when you are tempted or tested. He says, I am able to help you. And then this third one, so wonderful. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, no temptation. No test has overtaken you, but such as is common to all people, and I, your God, am faithful. I will not allow you to be tested or tempted beyond what you are able, but with the test I will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it." That is clear. The James 1.13, he doesn't tempt. He doesn't explicitly test. There's not a single passage that says that. Instead, I think overall, there are testings. He may allow certain testings as he allowed it in the wilderness. He allows certain things that cause our faith and stuff to grow. But know that when you're in it, he's not standing off at a distance and going, well, let's see what happens. Jesus is praying for you. He's there to help you, and God promises, I am faithful. I will not let this overwhelm you. Well, I love you guys. I pray this was helpful. Have a great day. Bye now.